Saul Poppy and the final episode in the four-part series on human-centered leadership. This episode is a conversation with Australia's foremost youth advocate, CEO of the Foundation for Young Australians. I saw Jan at the Future of Work conference earlier this year. One thing she said in her keynote address was that with all the technological changes to the nature of work, if you're over 40 and you don't have a mentor under the age of 25, you're crazy. And this highlighted the idea of reverse mentoring. And she also spoke about what she calls the new work order and the national enterprise skills strategy. Many of the skills that Jan talks about as enterprising skills are part of what I include in human-centered leadership skills and mindsets. In our conversation, we talked about the three currencies of leadership and why thinking about how prepared we are for the future of work is important for the education system now. She shares what she thinks is the most powerful trait of a leader and the biggest drivers of change. And just as a note, she uses U.S. politics as an example here. And at the time of our interview, Bernie was still in the running. And talking about the spectrum of leadership styles, Jan also uses her favorite poem to understand key aspects of leadership. Here's our conversation from the FYA office in Melbourne. I'm here with Jan Owen, who is the CEO of the Foundation for Young Australians. Welcome, Jan. Hello. So, um, tell me a bit about, let's just start with, um, how does leadership fit with the work that you do with the Foundation for Young Australians? So, I think about leadership in three ways, um, and driven particularly by context. So, the, I think about leadership in terms of currencies. So there's three currencies operating in the world, really, and the first currency is the currency of power, the second is the currency of money, and the third is the currency of love. Um, And I work from a sector that actually our currency is is love. So we work with people, we co-design and co-create with people, whoever the people are that we're working with, in our case it's young people at FYA. Um, and we're all about co-creating and co-designing solutions to, you know, big challenges, whether they're in communities or at a global level. So, um, but in order to operate in, through that currency of love, it's incredibly essential to know about the other currencies and how they operate. Mm. So how does the currency of money and how does the currency of power operate and why do people operate in those currencies? Um you know, for power, you want influence primarily is what you're looking for through power. And through money, you're looking to um, obviously get self-rewarded um, financially, particularly, but also to use money to um, either, you know, spawn other ideas or opportunities or to gain influence. Um, and in the currency of love, you're trying to bring people together and, in fact, the more that you can bring people together, the greater that currency is, actually, because it has power when it has mass behind it, um, particularly in terms of numbers of people. So I think about those currencies a lot, and I think about context and that we move within those currencies all the time. So, um, you know, the context of of working with politicians, as I have to do, is I have to know what the currency is Mm. in order to be able to work with them and achieve things that we might both want to achieve. Of course, you know, society work has all those three at work all the time and must because 
without those three currencies, we don't have a functioning, happy, healthy society. Mm. Excellent. Um, so can you tell me perhaps a little bit about uh, what is the big, your biggest accomplishment as a leader? Um, I think my biggest accomplishment as a leader has been multiple. I'm a very slow learner, and so I've, I've had to learn lessons over and over again. Um, and I think my biggest accomplishments are twofold. One, when I've um, kind of had to get out of my own way, when I've been fixated on a particular a solution or answer to a problem or, or even opportunity um, and in fact I haven't um, exercised kind of the the principles of leadership, co-leadership and co-design that I really believe in and collaboration to get to the best and I've had to get out of my own way to to get, that's been massive leadership lesson for me because I'm entrepreneurial and because I'm driven and because I can see I can kind of future sense stuff doesn't mean that I actually know how to get there. Mm -hmm. And so that process of letting the right people lead the right solutions mm -hmm. <laughs> and the right execution to, to, to big ideas that you have is absolutely essential. Um, and the other one is, you know, the humility learnt from failure. We have a term in FIA called slurning, hashtag learning, which is, you know, failing while simultaneously learning or fucking up while simultaneously learning, depending how bad it is. Um, and it's well used around here. Um, but it is that idea of there's humility, um, but there's also, you know, your greatest learning comes out of your greatest failures, you know. Um, so I think that's important. And the third one is I have a, my favourite poem of all time is Rudyard Kipling's If. And in part of that poem, he talks about, um, you know, you must treat success and failure as imposters both. Mm. So they are not you. They are not who you. You are not actually what you do. Um, and so success and failure are both imposters mm. in your life. And I think about that often, mm. that poem. Um, because in the work that we do, you know, we have huge successes and huge failures. And if you rode that wave all the time, you'd be you'd be very messy. Mm, yeah, I can understand that. Um, so yeah, so I think understanding, you know, where your centre is is uh, important mm. in leadership. Beautiful. Um, so let's talk a bit about human-centered leadership, um, as you say, where where your centre is. And we talked about uh, a little bit about this earlier in the currencies that you refer to, but can you tell me a bit more about what human-centered leadership means to you? Um, you know, I think as, as we were speaking about, there's so many ways that you can look at human-centered leadership, you know. I, I think, you know, the, we were talking about the military, you know, kind of um, context where you've got command and control and a military leader who absolutely categorically is there about his people or her people and wanting to see them safely through a mission out the other side. Um, that's very human-centered leadership. Um, I think that uh, human-centered leadership is also that ability to co-design and co-create and collaborate, you know, which is the sort of leadership that I that I exercise and I've always been most comfortable with. I'm most comfortable in um, collaborating and co-designing and co-creating with a group of people. 
Um, but I also think that there's a, you know, what makes an incredible leader in either of those contexts, and they're quite different, is, is this kind of what's the ethical, you know, what's the ethical frame? I think ethical leadership is probably core to human-centred leadership. Mm. How in whatever context are you uh, ethical? And I think ethical dilemmas face all of us all the time, every day, and we make trade-offs and decisions unconsciously, sometimes consciously if it seems so obvious, Mm -hmm. but most often unconsciously we make ethical decisions or unethical. We make decisions about that that are ethical or unethical as leaders. And um, so it seems to me that purposefulness of leadership is probably the most powerful. You know, the the ability to have, you know, we always talk about this with people, you know, the ability to have the most insight and the most self-awareness and um, and have the mirror, you know, hold the mirror up to yourself is the most powerful trait of a leader, probably, and yet often the most absent when people are talking about leadership. Um, but I always felt if there was an ethical lens that it would force people, no matter what kind of leader you are, to really study, you know, your responses, mm. let alone your actions. <laughs> so with that in mind, how do you think we could have more of that, whether it's human-centered or ethical leadership or both, and perhaps they're facets of the same thing? Well, that's right. So is is a, is a part of human-centered leadership, I don't know enough about human-centered leadership to know whether it's grounded in a very, very, very strong ethical framework. I think it's a, uh, an emerging term, and um, that's partly why we're doing this, is to really explore what uh, what the different facets are and different perspectives. So as far as the leadership that you would like to see in the world, how mm. do you think we can get more of that? Mm. Well, I think, I mean, we've got a beautiful example right now in the U.S. of leadership <laughs> playing at absolutely both ends of the spectrum or and also right down the middle. So, you know, one of the greatest powers in the world is playing out leadership on the global stage mm-hmm. um, in a most remarkable way because you've got at the one end um, a very much command and control leader in Donald Trump who basically says, I have the answers, follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the other end, you've got Bernie Sanders who is saying, we're going to have to co-create the future. Mm-hmm. What we have had in the past is not fit for purpose of the future, and it hasn't served us as a people. And then in the middle, you've got you know Hillary Clinton, um, you know, who's sort of kids right down the centre, which is probably where most people are, um, to, to better or ill. Mm. Um, but that divisive, that incredibly divisive leadership debate um, has put on show, I think, these styles of leadership, which is remarkable. Mm. And by the way, everyone is over 70 in that show. Mm. 
that's the show in town, mm. and they're all elderly people. So with that in mind, which is interesting. yeah, because we've got, I mean, obviously there are people in, you know, whether it's positions of leadership in whatever currency or facet um, of society um, that are, you know, elders in our society, and then we have these new generations that are coming and changing the landscape, really. So tell me a little bit more about what you see there and what, what's needed. Mm. Well, I think well, I think it's very, very, very interesting who, which of those group, those leaders would be leaders have had flocking to them, and lots of young people have flocked to Bernie because of this idea that the old systems aren't fit for purpose and they haven't served a current generation, um, and that a current generation of young people being screwed by the old system. Um, that's really interesting, and that you know he's had a huge huge wave of young voters. Mm. Um, so clearly it's not really about age in that sense. They're not sitting there saying we're voting for granddad. Yeah. Um, they're saying we're voting for a different set of ideas about a future. And there's no doubt in my mind that um, young people are extremely aware of the global environment in which they are living now they are connected to it clearly in all ways in every way they can find out any piece of information they want about it mm-hmm. um, what they don't see is a kind of a roadmap of solutions mm-hmm. so the result of that is a sense of um, distress leading through to disenfranchisement and everything in between and that's why we've got partly why we've got a global mental health epidemic in young people because if you can't see a way that you can um, you know, create a path where you have some kind of control over what's happening or contribute to change, then it's very hard to see where you fit in the bigger scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So I think young people know that there are global issues that need different solutions. I think they want them. I think they want to be part of the solution and part of the answer. Um, and they also know that, um, you know, in our own backyard as well, um, just really basic things like getting a job, you know, getting access to a house, you know, the great Australian dream, the only thing we've ever promised anybody in this country is that you'll have a piece of dirt to call your own. That's it. Yeah. That's the beginning, mill end. Um, so that, that, is, that is unattainable. Um, a job or youth unemployment and underemployment is an all-time high. And young people are now, you know, through our research coming out with, out of school and out of university without the skills required for the new work order, as we describe it. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more about that in terms of what um, you see is needed and what uh, our current leaders need to be considering in order to have a a future that's um, a bit more desirable than looks like we might be heading toward. Well, I think current leaders are being asked to do two things, and this is two things simultaneously, which is quite hard. One, they're being asked to... Um, try to understand what the future might look like, what the drivers of change are, and where we, for instance, as a country like Australia, could um, set our sail, you know, chart a course. That would take us from a resource-driven economy that we've had for 30 years, where we just flogged stuff out of the ground and sold it to people, through to a very different, a 21st century economy, which is about innovation, less about 
knowledge and skills, although that's part of it, but more about the application mm, and of those knowledge and skills yeah. and a way of thinking. Mm. And then the second thing we need politicians to do is not just, or leaders, any leader actually in any institution or organisation or politically, not just chart that course, but also then to help people transition. And so how will we help existing workers transition into the new path that must be in the new course that must be charted, but also what are we doing right now for a generation coming through and into the workforce? What will they need as a very different set of skills and capabilities into the new work order, which looks like being driven by, you know, globalisation, automation and collaboration, you know, three big global drivers of change um, in the world of work. So can you tell me a little bit more about what you see is needed perhaps from a policy perspective for leaders in that realm? What's what's needed? So one of the things that we're really interested in is seeing how um, if we know that there's a different set of skills and capabilities and they're well articulated now, we we call them enterprising skills. Um, They are things like, you know, uh, digital literacy, financial literacy, creativity, innovation, presentation, Um, You know, there's a whole list of them, there's 20 of them, they're well articulated, well researched internationally. Um, So if we understand that they're the skills, then the policy platform is really about how you get those skills to young people. Um, And for us, it's about privileging them. And so alongside foundational skills like maths and English and technical skills, which you'll need to do, you know, I don't think any of us are ready to have somebody, you know, who's just innovative flying our plane for us or some creative just opening up our brain and doing brain surgery. So we want technical skills, yeah, but what we also want and what was now discovered that employers are demanding and also privileging through increased wages to entry-level um, jobs is this enterprising skill set. Um, and then the last part of that puzzle is if... Uh, a 15-year-old today is going to have 17 jobs in five different industries, then career management becomes all-important because it's not about stepping out of school and transitioning to a job. It's now about many jobs Mm. across a lifetime. And this comes up to leadership full circle because some of that time you'll be leading yourself, some of that time you'll be leading other people, and Mm. some of that time you'll be led because you'll be working for yourself, you'll be working with other people in teams, or you'll be working for someone. That's the flexible, collaborative working environment of the future. And so in that context, everyone's going to need to have the skills and capabilities around leadership, and they're going to need to think about it and define, to your point about human-centered leadership or ethical leadership, they're going to need to define what is my leadership practice, what is my leadership craft, what is it that I want to learn and understand, what is the best reflection of me as a leader, of course no one leader, no two leaders are the same, Mm -hmm. but that will be worthy of some study and time and also practice. So, you know, mastery as we know (laughs) comes from the practice of honing your craft Mm -hmm. and if leadership and self-leadership Um, and leadership in all different contexts is going to be a core 
literacy of the future, which I absolutely believe it is, mm. um, then we need to create opportunities for young people now quickly to start practicing and honing that that capability and skill. So what kind of support are you getting for the idea of having a national enterprise skill strategy? Well, there's um, some com different component parts of that. Um, that skill strategy has got in it this idea that, um, you know, we need to be getting this set of enterprise skills embedded in curriculum. Um, and there's lots of support from that, from school level and parents and principals mm -hmm. Um, and even the kind of education system at, at some level. Yeah. Um, and there are points of light. There are schools who are doing great yeah. stuff. Well, but what we need if we're going to move everyone there is it needs to be systemic mm -hmm. and it needs to be embedded across every school system. What's great is that we have a national curriculum that can, that can house that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a vessel in which you can, it can hold a lot of different ideas and so enterprising skills can be held and embedded within the curriculum but the next step is to ensure that it's in the DNA mm. of the young people which means it has to be as I said practiced and built in and honed across many 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 years. Yeah starting early. Starting early, go hard, go early is the mantra. The mm. second part of that um, enterprising skills strategy is that um, everything that we know about learning today in the 21st century, the best learning is immersive. Yeah. So you've got to again, you've got to practice. So you know we have programs like Twenty Dollar Boss at FIA, where with our partner NAD, you know for a, a term, young people get twenty dollars, a real twenty dollars. Um, in one month, they have to set up a business with a with a, with a social value. At the end of the month, they've got to pay back the twenty dollars and the dollar interest. Um, and in that time, they can join forces with their $20 with other students in the classroom. They can go it alone. They can do anything. Um, and, you know, that kind of immersive learning what is huge. I mean, it just has, um, you know, leveraged impact over time, particularly for young people. And we saw last year in Australia 7,000 students ran at that opportunity this year there's going to be 20,000 students involved across middle high school. Mm. So this is about exercising this sort of entrepreneurial muscle. Not to be an entrepreneur, not everyone's going to be an entrepreneur, but this mindset yeah. and thinking about taking risks, about learning, learning, <laughs> about um, ideas and idea generation, about prototyping, about testing, about experimenting, about actually doing something tangible that you can see, touch, feel and talk about mm. and learn from. So, you know, that was a big part of the enterprise strategy. And then the last area was that um, this careers management piece. So we have, um, we have again, a careers management system in Australia, careers advice, that was created to help you go from A to B. Maybe C, if you had to, that's no longer relevant. Yeah. So we need a very different career advice system um, and we need to get information so you know parents, teachers, students don't know what the future world of work will look like, yeah. not the jobs or how it's going to operate. Mm -hmm. So those two things are dramatically different to yeah. anything that a 15 year old today's parents or grandparents went through. So they can't really advise them mm -hmm. necessarily and so information is key. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, we've covered a lot, and I'm going to um, draw it to a close with a, a little bit more of a, a personal question. Um, tell us about an experience where you changed yourself to improve your own leadership. That's a good question. Um, well, I think, I mean, the opportunity to reinvent yourself when you go to a new job is always, you know, a gift, really. Um, and so I, I think that in every new venture that I've started or every new job that I've started, mostly mostly it's been startups um, because I'm kind of an entrepreneur, but I think in every time that I've moved, I've used that as an opportunity to absolutely kind of draw a line in the sand, um, spread out the blank sheet of paper and think about what I want to be, who I want to be and how I want to be. Based on, I mean, we are only the sum total of everything that's happened to us in our lives. Yeah. So kind of bringing past to present, but then being able to think uh, in a really, really different way about what is it that I want to take in the future. And I think the ability to reinvent yourself through, um, and I've done it in every new job I've been in, uh, but it's a conscious it's a conscious process and I think you can tumble on and tumble into the next thing and the next thing and the mm -hmm. next thing, um, particularly if you're an entrepreneur and working for yourself, but also in big organisations you get moved around and you can just find yourself in the next team and the next next desk and the yeah. next. Um, but I think the ability to consciously draw that line in the sand and say, I want to understand everything that's happened mm -hmm. to me till now and I want the opportunity to reinvent my leadership mm. um, and and improve my mastery and to see it as a journey of mastery. Yeah, um, it's very hard. I mean, entrepreneurs very hard. Mastery is very hard when you are kind of a jack of all trades and master of none. It's literally <laughs> says Yeah, it literally says that. You know that's and so to understand mastery in some areas of entrepreneurship, like leadership because leadership is core to any role, mm -hmm. as I've said, and in the future, in whatever context, um, is something that I think is really, I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think I've arrived by any stretch of the imagination. I'm sure I'm still going to be exploring when I'm 80. Um, but I think it is about the ability to reinvent and re and reimagine mm -hmm. yourself as the next leader that you want to be. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So you've touched on this a little bit in my last question already, but um, what would you say to our listeners about uh, in terms of becoming or increasing their own human-centered leadership? What would you suggest? Or what advice would you have? Um, well, I think the focus on human-centered leadership should be on human. Sounds strange and obvious. Um, but only because I think... Um, if I was to really think hard about human-centered leadership, which I haven't until now, um, I would think about a few things. I would think about common humanity mm. and what brings us and binds us all together is one of the most powerful traits of, of leadership. I would think about humility as being human mm. and vulnerable, vulnerability and humility, I think, which are two separate things, but... They both end in ILT. <laughs> um, but they're very linked. I think humility and vulnerability are very linked. And I think that Brene Brown's work, which is some of my most favourite work Me too. in the world on vulnerability, yeah. hit a nerve at a time mm. where I think we were um, 
people were trying to tough it out in the world of business and politics and and even community. So all the all the all the literacies, you know, of power, love, and money were all being challenged. Mm-hmm. And I think her she brought vulnerability into that space that allowed everyone to breathe a little bit. Um, and so humility, vulnerability, common humanity. Um, and then I think about yeah, co-creation and co-design. There, you know, the future is genuinely going to be very, very, very different. Yeah. Um, and it will either happen to us or we will step up and co-design and co-create it. Mm. One of those two things will happen. Yeah. Um, but I genuinely believe that we have choices about what the future looks like, but only if we step into it. Yeah. Um, and with that kind of leadership, mm. human-centred leadership in the ways that I've described it, I think that all those trays would be, um, would help mm. make the right choices. Yeah. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I'm really looking forward to um, hearing the kind of responses to uh, the, the ideas that you've raised here. So thanks again. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for having me. Some of the things that stood out for me in this conversation were the FYA concept of flirting, a recognition that the best learning comes from failing or fucking up, and the importance of having our own leadership style, our self-leadership, leading others and being led, and that we can all have our own style in each of those. I loved the key principles that she holds dear, design, co-design, and collaboration. And I like how she brought an ethical lens to the inquiry around human-centered leadership. And that for her, it's about a focus on our common humanity, what binds us together, humility and vulnerability instead of toughing it out. I really admire Jan's leadership style. She has a calm presence with a deeply grounded passion and her organization has done so much fantastic work with young people and the research that's gone into things like the New Work Order is brilliant. Such an important piece of advocacy work for the future and as she named it, the choice that we have about our future. It will either happen to us or we will co-create it. It's up to us. It's something for us as a society to step into. By way of an update, FYA recently released a follow-up report to the new work order, looking at a big data analysis of 2.7 million job ads in Australia over three years, and found, for example, that the demand for critical skills has increased by 158%. This report, The New Work Mindset, talks about job clusters instead of one dream job. To find out more about Jan Owen and the Foundation for Young Australians, find the links in the show notes on tathrastreet.com forward slash podcast and look for episode four. I also invite you to check out tathrastreet.com forward slash book for pre-sales on my book on human-centered leadership. It's a guide for team leaders and people managers on modern people management and an exploration of the skills and mindsets that will have us thrive into the future. Many of the skills Jan mentioned are chapters in the book. This is the final episode in the series on human-centered leadership, but of course we'll explore this theme in upcoming interviews as well. Some of the highlights from upcoming episodes include a discussion about purpose as a foundational principle in our work in business and in groups with facilitator Simone Maus. I speak with Jessica Watson, who was the youngest person to circumnavigate the globe as a solo sailor and what the experience has taught her about leadership. 
Plus, you'll find out about the new startup that she's working on to bring innovation and build community in the sailing industry. I talked to Mark LeBusque, known as the Human Manager, and Tom Morcus of Insurgent Publishing, author of Collaborate, a book aimed at startups for online businesses. But of course, there are lots of gems for anyone looking to collaborate in their business or in community. Lastly, thanks for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can get in touch via poppy at tathrastreet.com or via the Contact Us form on the website. And if you like this, please share it, like it, comment, and I'd love it if you left a review. It really makes a difference for future listeners. Thanks again. See you next time.